Welcome to the Practice Podcast, conversations probing the nature of practice. I'm your host, Dave Firon. This is a conversation with Dr. Carrie Brennan, who is Associate Professor of Management at Widener University. But I've known Carrie for quite a long while through our association with the Management and Organization Behavior Teaching Society. That society not only drew her in when she was a participant in the Doctoral Institute some years back, but has kept her very much involved as a board member, program leader, many things that Carrie has done. But mainly, from my standpoint, she's offered her spirit, the spirit of a really committed teacher, someone who loves teaching organization behavior in all the aspects and does it with great care in adapting her teaching as we've gone through the pandemic from classroom to online and now moving back to classroom. So she's a fellow practitioner of the kind of teaching that Peter Vail and I offered during that phase of our career. And uh, I think she's got an awful lot to teach us in this conversation. So here is Carrie Brennan. Here I am back at the Management and Organizational Behavior Teaching Society Network that has been instrumental in my success for lots of years. And now talking with Carrie Brennan, who is Associate Professor of Management at Widener University, not Wagner, David, Widener. <laughs> and uh, it was that society, and I love that word, not association, society that uh, brought us together. And Carrie, do you remember the first time we were on the board of directors together? I, I've got a way of giving you a hint. Uh, you were pregnant with your daughter, and I think she's, ah. <laughs> she's at least nine or 10 years old. Now. <laughs> she is 10 years old. Yes, she is 10. Yeah. Uh, what drew so, you into the society and made you want to even put your name out there for the board uh, as a busy, um, busy professor? As uh, my first um, introduction to the society was through the Doctoral Institute. Mm -hmm. um, I believe it was 2000 and I want to say six. It was the one that was at uh, Nazareth College in Rochester. Yeah. So if my, my date is off, you'll have to check check on that. No, I, I remember it, I remember it well. It was really fun to be there at Nazareth. Yeah, I had um, I'd learned about the society through some people who had been involved when I was at a, a different conference. A couple years before, um, I looked at attending um, when it was at the University of Scranton, and that just didn't work out. Um, so I came to the society through that doctoral institute, and it was just such a positive experience um, for someone going through a doctoral program, um, for someone trying to still figure out, you know, aspects of teaching and what uh, what I could do in the classroom, get some creative ideas of how to handle things coming to a conference that was um, sort of smaller in size than some of the, the other ones where people were very collegial, um, really attracted me. At the time, I think there was 15 or 16 of us in the Doctoral Institute who all got along very well, and some of which I still have um, I see at the conferences each year and get a chance to chat with again. 
but I really found it to be a very warm and welcoming group and mm-hmm. that the, the sharing of knowledge and information and, and techniques for those of us that are, were new in the field at the time um, was extremely helpful. Um, and that helped to uh, make me want to come back. Um, and I, you know, continued to come back. Uh, I think I only missed, I, I missed the year that my, my daughter was actually born. Cause I would think I was pregnant at the board meeting, but uh, by the time <laughs> she was born, it was right around the conference time. Uh, and then I missed the year we, I got, well, a year I got married. Um, but I haven't missed many conferences. Um, I wanted mm-hmm. to be on the board initially. Um, the idea was presented to me when I was still very uh, relatively new to the society, probably a few years in. And I thought it was an interesting opportunity. And I was honored that someone would even think that I could participate uh, or be an active uh, member of the board and have something to contribute to the society at that level. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I subsequently have been on the board a couple of times on different roles. And it was also a um, the Providence Conference, I think, in 2017. I was the program chair for that one. That gave me a different mm-hmm. uh, way of looking at the conference and looking at the um, the structure of it from that side of it too. Mm-hmm. So it's been it's been really a positive experience. I uh, consider many of the society members as well as yourself as friends. Um, I enjoy when we have those chances to to get together and, and talk about not just um, teaching and the society and events around that, but also just knowing about what's going on with everyone personally and, and enjoying right. that. That's a great scenario that you've laid out on a, and I second all those motions about uh, how uh, the doctoral Institute drew you and, and a number of others in. I, I think in looking at the nature of practice, when we find our niche, we want to put ourselves into that practice and we want to develop and grow uh, the social aspect of that becomes very important. So in our case, management educators, uh, organization scientists, however you want to cast it, uh, there are a lot of technical ways that we could develop ourselves as, as researchers and teachers. But the personal growth part is what I believe the society not only was created for originally, but contributed to and still does now virtually because it's a high wire act, Carrie, as you know, <laughs> particularly in what you've gone through. And if you don't have people you can be comfortable and reach out to and say, oh my God, I just, I tried this. <laughs> it flopped. I got nothing but dead eyes in front of me. Everyone looking saying, yeah, what was that point? You know, of course I would have said to you, that was a teaching moment. Why is this dead? <laughs> Let's stop and analyze. How come this flop? So um, that was a good part of, uh, and continues to be a good part of why society matters. But I'm, I'm wondering about uh, how, give, given the difficulties that you who are still practicing in, in your case, a relatively small, but very important school, how did the year and a half go for you? And what did you learn having to make some fairly significant changes, I assume? Yeah, I mean, like everyone else, you know, when things kind of hit in March of 2020, we were all thrown into uh, the world of virtual teaching. Um, I had, in some ways, a little bit of a benefit because we did have, we do have some courses we offer online in our MBA program, and I periodically taught them, not consistently, but 
enough to have at least a little structure and understanding of sort of that online environment. But obviously that what I taught before was asynchronous. It wasn't, it wasn't um, through Zoom. You know, Zoom was something that I occasionally used, I would say, before March 2020 and became, you know, everyone's best friend. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, wearing the Zoom t-shirt. <laughs> exactly. Um, and it, it was an adjustment. I think the, the that spring of 2020, most of us were in survival mode and trying to figure out the best way to manage what was left of our semesters. Um, the positive side, in I, I looked at from that time period in the sense was we had in my case, I'd had students for half the semester already, so at least knew them in person. Mm. Um, going into the fall of 2020, uh, with a small school, I still knew a handful of those students anyway, because generally I've had them in other courses. Um, but then you're looking at a new environment where you're going to have people in that classroom that never physically met you in person. Oh. And trying to figure out what I could do differently to convey the material um, one of the things I thought about around like this um, time last summer or a little earlier in the summer, um, what can I do differently in the Zoom environment or the online environment that I normally couldn't do in the classroom? Like, are there things like instead of looking at this like, oh, this is going to be, you know, so difficult. Are there things I can incorporate um, that wouldn't have worked in the um, traditional classroom environment? So I try to. Absolutely right on. Absolutely the right impulse. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know if I was overly successful in it, but it gave me a different perspective on creating the course for the year. A um, couple of things I did uh, that were kind of simplistic and actually could really be rolled into a traditional classroom is um, I looked at, you know, the guest speaker idea a little bit differently and thought, well, who can I get that, you know, geographically couldn't even come normally to our campus? We're a small university. Um, so I had uh, one of the textbook authors for a course I was using Zoom in from California to speak to the students. Um, I brought in some other people that normally their schedules wouldn't have allowed for them to, you know, drive to our campus and come on campus. Now, in the future, they could probably still Zoom into our classrooms because I, I know all of our classrooms got upgraded over this time period to try to accommodate that kind of um, stuff. I tried some other tricks that some did and did not work well. Um, I had a, a online activity that I did where, um, and I, I actually presented this, um, I guess it was last year at the um, first MOBTS virtual conference, uh, where students were following sort of these cartoon directions on a YouTube video to, to draw things. And I talked about communication, but I tried to sort of incorporate some of those fun activities. Um, I tried also doing some sort of like cooking lessons related to, you know, different types of management theories because um, oh, I've, I've tried one. that in the past. <laughs> <laughs> Can't re but most of my students, especially in the fall, um, our university was pretty much, we were fully virtual for the most part, um, with the exception of our, some, our um, majors that required hands-on instruction like nursing and physical mm -hmm. So most of my students were Zooming from households where they were, you know, have access to things like kitchens and so forth. So some of that worked a little bit. Um, in the spring semester, it was a little bit different because I had some students that were Zooming from houses, some that would actually have a few on um, campus classes. So they would be kind of Zooming from uh, what we kind of so like sit down spots we created throughout campus. Um, so 
just trying different things for the one of the first times. I normally don't change uh, a course that I'm teaching in the fall and the spring that much when I'm teaching it, you know, in an academic year. I did more significant changes in spring 2022, a course that's been kind of a course I've taught forever. Um, I mean, it, it usually gets updated every so often, but never mid academic year. Um, trying to refresh things, trying to see where things weren't working as well, um, trying to get really good feedback from the students so I could adjust things. You know, I said, you know, there's certain things I can't control. You know, our class is scheduled for 8 a.m. That's not control here, but uh, I can try to figure out other things we can do to make you more lively and awake at 8 a.m. Yeah. Um, yeah. And giving them a little bit more break, you know, uh, for a three day a week class, I'd have a session that was sort of optional, you know, where that one once a week we could zoom in and talk kind of more traditional lecture material if you wanted to, if you didn't, because you know, they're, they're Zooming for probably 15 hours if they're meeting oh, at, I know. every period, back-to-back um, -back classes. So trying to find ways to incorporate things where they're not always sit in front of the screen. And, or if they want to be, they can be there. And if they don't, they, they opt to do online activities instead. I hear an awful lot of very predictable with you concern for the students and their experience and what they were challenged by. And you were certainly doing a lot to try things out as the teacher, but I hear many instances already where you were anticipating things like giving them that break time or um, making the experiential learning work in their setting, <laughs> those yeah. kind of ideas. Have you um, a recipe <laughs> uh, for getting to know your students even before when the classrooms were there, so the extent that they seem to really have your heart, not just your your intellect. Yeah, I mean, it's there's some benefit, as I said, at a smaller um, school, because I do tend to have the students once or twice because we have I teach core courses. I, I tend not to teach the electives as much. Mm -hmm. so see them frequently, and we also do. Um, advising as faculty members. So I have a group of students that are in my major that I will work with through the year on their course selections or any other issues. So I think the structure of our school helps that in general. But in the classroom, you know, I, I do make efforts to try to, you know, find out more about them personally, what different things they're involved in. Again, at a small school, most of those students are um, involved in multiple activities as well as being in, you know, the workplace um, and, and had some interesting experiences through the year, the year uh, with Zoom too, where students were really trying to balance a lot of things, especially last spring, uh, spring of 2020, where they were forced home suddenly. And so were their, a lot of their family members and um, just trying to, to find out what struggles they were facing. I, um, I sent out a survey, I think before the semester started where I asked some questions about, you know, your work and um, activities you're involved in. If you were Zooming from, you know, a house where you would have to help other people. I have, I know I had a spring student who had to help her, I think it was nine or 10 year old brother with his classes while she mm -hmm. was also trying to finish up her semester. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, in that Zoom environment, I tried to gather a lot of information. And um, even at the end of the semester, you know, asking questions like what, 
you know, about the pandemic and whether you felt it hindered you in some way um, as far as your success, um, if, you know, there's things that could have been done differently uh, and tried to build on that from fall to spring and try to, you know, make adjustments where necessary or where, where it could be made. That's, uh, that, again, it hits all the, hits all the spots as I'm listening, knowing the students in a variety of ways builds, I believe, the rapport and trust that we need to draw them somewhat out of the shells. I imagine mm -hmm. just about everyone has a shell. I'm just wondering now, looking ahead over the shoulders of, of your students, Carrie, which would be the shoulders of tens of thousands of students who've gone through this semester and a half or a year and a half of virtual less connection. Uh, is there anything really big that they've learned about being more effective going forward in whatever they do because they've gone through this horror show? <laughs> is there a bright side to all of this for them? <laughs> you know, I like to think there's always some bright side somewhere. There's something that can be a learning experience. Um, you know, all of our struggles lead us to new understanding of what we're doing next or how to handle and cope. Um, I think especially in a couple of weeks when I get physically back in the classroom for the first time in a long time, um, that's a conversation really to have with each of the classes and, and to really, because I know the struggles that I went through, all of us know our individual struggles that the last year and a half has, has been for whether you're balancing, um, you know, the teaching environment, you know, the technology, uh, other obligations personally that you're, have um, conflict to deal with. Um, but I think that first day of class is really critical when you're in person coming forward, uh, coming in the fall. Mm. I think that first day of class really almost should be a celebration of, of being here, you know, and, and a, a moment to gather information about what, what happened over the last year and a half to people as much as they want to share, you know, obviously they don't mm -hmm. have to. Um, but there's certain things that was, you know, I've, I've read or talked to different people that's sort of interesting about the virtual environment. You know, some people really um, liked aspects of it, um, the flexibility of it, not if they had to work also, then they weren't, you know, as a commuter, we have many commuters on campus, driving for class and driving to work. And so I right. think that that initial, you know, class meeting is going to be, um, exciting and, and interesting and also um, very uh, informative for me. I like, I like, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I, yeah. I like the notion of celebration because the big, the big sort of the big picture that I was painting about all returning uh, students everywhere is that they have experienced something, Carrie, that you and I and mm -hmm. nobody we know in our field ever, ever experienced mm -hmm. it was and still is cataclysmic change. Mm -hmm. Peter Vail liked uh, the brought us to the notion of permanent whitewater. Well, mm -hmm. now it's a it's tsunami and change, yeah. just everything rolling over us. And as soon as you think you've got the uh, connections all reconnected, and you've made a couple of attitudinal changes, learn something, Home, you're hit again, just like we are now, you know, with the onset of, a, of another variant. So I say you made it, you're back. And I say that you all have now in some ways more knowledge of what 
you have done to manage to get here mm-hmm. than we have in our textbooks. <laughs> and it would be great to get in, weave into the class and other classes uh, some of the personal knowledge that you've gained about basically surviving and not just the health piece, the mental health, the, the social, uh, when you couldn't see your grandfather and grandmother for, mm-hmm. you know, a year and a half. And that, so there's that, and I don't overstate it in this podcast because everyone kind of is living it still and knows what I mean, but what Peter and I were focused on was experiential learning that we would jumpstart as in the classroom with exercises. And I know you've done some, written up some, but it was always about jumpstarting because once they were past us and, and then ultimately graduated, they were their own learning agent, if you will. Mm-hmm. They, they had to have confidence that they could confront a situation that was new, draw on what they may have <laughs> acquired and bring their whole self into the question, hopefully collaborate with others and get themselves through onto a better place. So that kind of um, personal muscle, what do you think of that? Yeah, I mean, I think that they have, I mean, everyone has gained so much knowledge through the struggles that we've all faced. And um, then it reminded me too, of when you were saying that one of the things I did incorporate um, in the academics for this year was I, I covered the topic of crisis management, which I hadn't covered in a while in the management course because it's it was you know resonates with everyone. I mean I didn't want to focus solely on sort of the pandemic, but I, I've all gone through this this crazy struggle. As, as you said, we're still going through it, and things are shifting back and forth depending on where you you live. Mm-hmm. Um, and that you know that creation of you know we have to be agile so it's creating us to develop our agility because we're things are out of our control um in some ways you know there's uh, mandates for certain things or or you know other things are approved of this is what you know this campus is doing and that campus or wherever you're attending um school and i think i know for myself I, that idea of you know sort of being flexible more um and then real understanding of, you know, people tell you before certain things are out of your control, but you still try to control those elements. I mean, I think it's human nature, mm-hmm. but really seeing um, how much things can be out of your control that you, there's no way you can adjust and modify um, the situation. You have to adjust and modify your reaction to it. Um, right on, and, right on. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that that's something to really, to build on, you know, mm-hmm. I, you know, this week we're learning information, changing what we're going to do next week um, is become quite common. Um, I don't know about, you know, schools up in your area, but um, where Widener is located right now, there is a um, increase in cases. So there's now a mask mandate indoors on campus again, where they had lifted that for a while. There's, you know, debate in the state we're in, as well as ones around us, whether, you know, elementary school kids or what what age group will have to be masked again. Um, and obviously there's also, um, no matter what side of the argument you're on, people are having arguments about things and, and developing an understanding of how to interact effectively with people that are um, of opposing views as you uh, right. and trying to, um, one of the things I, I 
you know, a, a good argument that's collegial and, and just uh, information-based and friendly is, is often uh, very helpful as a learning experience, whether you change your opinion or not, but whether you can have that collegial argument. Yeah, I, I, uh, I mentioned before we started recording that I, uh, maybe I was in the recording, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm old, you know, I lose track. But uh, I mentioned that the conversation I had with Don Danoon uh, there in Australia, uh, his focus, as is mine and my son Dave's, is on the conversation itself with the idea that one can become very effective in conversation. Uh, in that regard, they can then have more influence as a spontaneous leader, and then through the feedback, develop more leadership confidence, but within the moment when two or three or more people are talking and listening, hopefully both. And it's, if there's anything that I can think of, maybe I'm looking at a hammer when everything's a nail, is that there's so many cross currents now global warming yes or no uh, racism yes or no you know there's so much that our students and we are living in that to become coached and developed in that conversational ability carrie maybe something we can all do uh systematically more not that you don't but how do you how do you help the students become comfortable in expressing their ideas listening and working their way through to some kind of meaning, some kind of shared meaning? Well, I think that's always a challenge. And I think that, um, you know, it, it's, when we go back into the classroom, I think there's new insight into that. As you mentioned, there's so many different things that we can talk about over the last year and a half that happened during this pandemic. When we talk about um, the issues with diversity and Black Lives Matter, as well as um, some Asian hate crimes that have occurred, um, that have brought that up into um, the, the, the forefront too of, of discrimination and so forth and, and trying to understand um, people with different um, cultural backgrounds or value systems and so forth. Um, I mean, there's so many different things that in the last year and a half have happened and, and they've been during this pandemic, which is also a conversation. And then in that yeah. there's the, you know, uh, opposing sides to various aspects of you know, whether um, about vaccines or about masking or about mandates on things. Um, and I, I think, again, it's it's something that, um, you know, can be done online if, if it's a totally virtual fall semester, which it's not supposed to be. But, you know, as I said, things are always changing. So, I, you know, you think about anything way things can go. But I think if we get a real chance to be in person in those conversations, mm. um, trying to create that safe space for people to talk because I do think one of the challenges um, when you're in the virtual environment um, for classes and we were mandated to record things is um, you know that fear that people might have that what they say is getting recorded and people can look at it again even if it's in a true that's true classroom um, and you want to make sure that people are using that information in an appropriate way if they're viewing a course again you know and someone says something that might be controversial that they're not um, you know, there's no issues of, um, you know, either bullying or, or using that information appropriately. So I, I think it's just, it, it's going to be very eye-opening as we go forward. Um, I think that, you know, people are, 
have created our very strong opinions, which is, is not a negative, but I think what I'd like to see is those opinions be conveyed in a way that doesn't mean that your opposing opinion means that you're wrong and I'm right type of mentality. And I think that's going to extend through the way faculty members speak with each other, the staff and administration and, you know, schools like this. I, I, I think I'd like to believe that we're a damn grateful that we aren't one of the 700,000 or so people who've succumbed to this horrible thing. So we should all be very pleased on how lucky we are even to be able to disagree. Right. Uh, but beyond that, the conversations needed to re-knit faculty governments, governance to make connections, restore connections with alums, all of that that I would be concerned about if I were still back in my school, uh, got to come at it in a fresh way. Mm -hmm. uh, we need to restore our um, enrollments and we need to be the kind of place that people will choose to be for X number of months or years, a lot of challenges coming up. So I'm looking in this last few minutes at your future, Carrie. <laughs> uh, what, uh, what are your hopes for Widener and your growth and development uh, thereto pertaining? Yeah, there's a lot of different things. Um, you know, there's, we at Widener as a small university um, enrollment based, I like to help with getting us have more students on campus, um, getting back to that. I think we, we've, we've managed the last year and a half, I think uh, fairly well considering, you know, I mean, I, I say that with, you know, everyone struggled, everything, I think every place struggled, mm -hmm. um, but just to kind of, you know, expand and leave my, um, some of the different programs we're offering and, and to, to be someone that um, can help to bring new things forward um, and uh, and help with, you know, we have also um, at Weiner, we have a lot of new faculty coming in um, pre-pandemic even and, you know, various other situations during the pandemic. We had many people retiring. Um, some of that was, again, pre-pandemic. And you've never seen them in person. Some of the ones you fire, <laughs> they were on screen like us. <laughs> exactly. I know that's exciting. I, I, it, oh, it's oh be... you're short. Oh, you're tall. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be exciting to, to, you know, see the people in person and, and um, yeah. really get to know them. And hopefully I can help mentor them a little bit through the Widener world. Um, you know, we've had a, a few new faculty um, over the last several years coming in that, pre-pandemic that I did get the chance to, to work with and, and, and mentor a little bit. And I, I really enjoyed that. Uh, I think that, um, you know, there's a, a lot of different opportunities sometimes at a smaller place because um, there's, you know, people are eager to hear different ideas and what we can do. Uh, and the structure of it often allows us to give, give things a try. Um, maybe not always um, when we would, first one to try them, but if we were looking at a new class or something of that nature, um, we some often have opportunity to try to develop um, things like that. So it's just a lot of different things. And then, you know, outside of Widener, um, going back to the society, I like to- Yeah, I was gonna say, uh, what do you see for for us, including us old, old yeah. fellows? <laughs> I know. <laughs> holding well, on to the society with both hands. <laughs> Well, you know, it's it's an exciting time for the society. I mean, the last so many years, um, they, you know, the expansion of some of these international uh, conferences, uh, I'm very 
excited about um, summer of 2022 and the conference is going to be in Germany. Um, I think, yeah. Um, and uh, looking at some of those opportunities as well as bringing the, uh, different people from other parts of the world into the, the fold of the society. Um, you know, currently being on the board, I have a, a, another year in my term. Um, so it's always great to be in those meetings, as you know, as a board member in those conversations about the direction things are taking and, uh, you know, trying to, you know, again, contribute where I can to that group. You know, it's exciting to see that they have managed to be fairly successful, I would say, very successful in the virtual conference format for... Yes, it was terrific. Yeah. Each and they've year. also done so many things with um, the... Um, I guess it's some of their podcasting and, and virtual sessions that they've had outside the conference, you know, where yeah, they've had webin webinars. Yeah. Webinars. Yes. Thank you. I've jumped in on a couple of those too. I, I think that's a great thing. I, I, let me ask you the, the sort of the summative question. Okay. We started talking about the society drawing us together because we wanted needed to be effective teachers, big E effective teachers, because that was our passion. How's teaching likely to be going forward? Is it going to be taking more prominence, do you think, in every sort of collegiate institution, staying pretty much in, in quotes, balance with research and service, or maybe even being demoted in, in its status regarding those things, research, uh, research and research and teaching? A biased no. question, I meant. <laughs> it is a, a biased question, but uh, I think it still ends up going back to the school itself and the mission. Uh, mm -hmm. I know for us at Widener, um, teaching is is prominent. I mean, they talk about a balance of teaching and research, but at the same time, there is a real teaching focus. Um, yep. You know, there's um, the the focus on the student. We take you know look at things very personally with the student. I think that's uh, links into the fact that we still do advising with fa as faculty on their uh, curriculum and what they're doing. Um, I think that there's an understanding, especially from, I would say, places where um, there is a reliance on enrollment that the virtual world for many places, um, you know, it didn't go as well for, for some schools as others. And, and some schools lost students just as they opted out for a year, mm -hmm. um, trying to make sure that you're really attracting and retaining students and the teaching aspect is what retracts and attains students really. I mean, when you think about it, an 18 year old knows little about the research of most places that they're looking to go to with the exception of maybe someone who's very forward thinking and knows they want to do advanced degrees or, mm -hmm. um, or in certain fields. But, um, you know, in the, I would say in the student, the community of the business student, when they look at a school, they look at, um, you know, kind of course offerings, teachers, the environment they're going to be in, what opportunities are there, um, and really making that connection with the student really helps to retain them uh, and really helps for their success. That's well, very pragmatic reason, and I, I think it's going to be extending, by the way, to even the most prestigious schools. I think teaching, uh, the art of teaching, will uh, be more necessary than ever to attract and retain, particularly keyword there, retain. Uh, and the other thing is that uh, when uh, our field was born, uh, Fritz Rollisberger and some of the others there at Harvard and a few, uh, they taught 
they didn't, you know, they ran case courses, but they taught, they were accessible. And this is via Peter Vale's experience and memories of his time there. It caught him up into what we call organization behavior. Uh, so sometimes we have the mind that someone who is publishing great thought uh, needs to not be with students very much so they can just sit and write or nowadays crunch data. Uh, I, I've always felt, and you've seen them in our fellows group, great researchers in the best sense of the word, but they're, they really know how to teach and they care about it. And so it's, it's a trifecta. It's perfect because mm -hmm. they service side, they'll develop our society and others work hard to extend the capability of a very large network of support like the Academy of Management, but they also arrive in that classroom, just like I know you do, mm -hmm. uh, with a whole bunch of energy and some cool ideas to try and some other things you know you have to give them, whether they're teaching doctoral students or freshmen. So thank you for a chance to uh, brag about our work. <laughs> thank you for having me. I'm honored. Always great to talk to you, Dave. Thanks for listening to the Practice Podcasts, where we discuss practice with a capital P. If you'd like to hear more, listen in on Spotify, Automatic, and Apple Podcasts, or go to inactionresearch.com slash podcast dash page. And if you'd like to learn more about social inaction and the nature of practice, head over to inactionresearch.com for more information. Thank you for supporting this show. We look forward to hearing from you soon.